We're going to be in Mark chapter number 10, verse 46 through 52, as your uh, bulletin kind of outlines, and then uh, we'll read the scriptures and spend some time discussing uh, some of the things happening within it. It's a joy to be with you guys at Substance Church, uh, watched from a distance uh, through social media and through our uh, connection, through partnership with Harbor Network and um, our elders came up in May, I think. Um, next week's Labor Day, so Memorial Day weekend, I think we came up and I was able to be here with you and just observe and uh, spend some time with Ronnie and Melissa and our elder team. And that was such a deep encouragement to our souls. And then I think from then, uh, friendship has been blossoming uh, between all of us, I think, but, but even more specifically between Ronnie and I and I've had opportunity each week to connect in some way, uh, in some shape, in some form, and pray for you guys, kind of be connected uh, in spirit from a distance with you guys, observe all of the beautiful things, the beautiful people, and man, just a gorgeous space that God's given uh, you guys. This is like fits my aesthetic uh, idealism perfectly, and so I feel really at home and, uh, and excited to be with you. I'm going to open up uh, the Word of God here in just a moment. This invitation was, was a good invitation. I was joking around with the Watsons last night. Uh, sometimes you get an invitation and it's like, hey, here's this really obscure text deep down in the Old Testament, like the hardest section of Daniel. Uh, and so while you're here, we would love for you, after doing a retreat all weekend, to preach on that. Um, and Ronnie didn't do that to me, thankfully. Uh, he said you guys were kind of in between sermon series and kind of gave me a lot of freedom. And so I sent him a handful of sermons. And so I'll take some of the critique if you don't like this one, but uh, I'll also pass a lot of the blame to him uh, as well because um, he, he thought this would be of the greatest help to uh, you guys. And so I'm, I'm again delighted to be here. Nedra Glover Tawab is an author that I really enjoy. I'm probably butchering the mess out of that name, but... Um, she wrote a book um, called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. And in that book, she presented these as signs that we need to establish some boundaries in our life generally, but very specifically sometimes in our life through relationships. And here was the thoughts that she offered uh, in that section of her book. First one was we need to seek out and establish some boundaries when we feel overwhelmed when we feel resentment toward people in general, but especially towards those who are asking us for our help. When we find ourselves avoiding calls and interactions with people, again, generally, but especially those people that constantly reach out and ask for things of us. We make comments about helping people and always giving out of ourselves but never receiving anything in return. We feel burned out. I read a, a, a USA Today article, I believe, several months back where it was talking about the, the millennial age range of, what, of which I find myself in, uh, are having a hard time identifying burnout because it's a constant state in which they live, uh, going 100 miles an hour, always uh, engaged in everything at all times, um, feeling burned out. We frequently daydream about dropping everything and disappearing from our town uh, and from our responsibilities. Uh, and we, we frequently complain about having no time uh, for ourselves. I'll add one to her list, 
Not that I don't think her list is all-encompassing and one of, them, one of them or most of them connect with all of my life lived experience. But I'll add this, we say yes or maybe to things when what we really mean is no, right? I find myself all the time over committing to things like on Friday night and then Friday afternoon rolls around. I'm like, why did I do that? That doesn't even make any sense. Like I know I'm gonna be exhausted from X, Y, Z and I still do it anyway. So I imagine that those of us that are here today relate to some of these. I know I certainly do. And as I I come this morning, I I wanna be very clear. I don't come as an expert uh, on this text or this topic of conversation. I don't come uh, knowing or having all the answers, maybe not even very many answers at all, but uh, come as a student, somebody that's learning, somebody that's submitting my life to the teachings of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, uh, the gospel of Jesus, as I trust uh, that many of us are as well. And so I pray that um, as you have already been a deep encouragement to my heart and soul and my wife and I, uh, through your gifts and hospitality and and time and, and engagement, my prayer is that you guys would be encouraged through our time together in God's word. Our relationship with boundaries or limitations, like many things in life, uh, is very complicated, isn't it? For some of us, uh, we excel in this area of our life, and for some of us, this feels like a deep ocean that we're always drowning in. There's no one shoe fits all uh, for every situation, every circumstance, every interaction, every relationship. It's as broad and diverse as we are broad and diverse Uh, as a people following Jesus. We're all very unique. We all have very unique stories. It's been a joy just hearing glimpses and bits and pieces of of some of your stories even this morning. There's some commonality between you and I for sure, but there's a vast ocean of differences similarly. And that's the same. Uh, And that's true of each and every person that we interact with. This makes it messy. It makes it complicated, engaging in healthy ways in relationships with other people. For some of us, when we start talking about setting boundaries and living within limitations, it brings with it an anxiety, a guilt, perhaps some shame, uh, some fear. We have a very difficult time uh, living within other people's boundaries and, and withholding our boundaries as we engage with other people. Some of us grew up in families uh, that operated and lived with no boundaries. It was just chaos all the time. That was kind of mine. Some of us have tried to set boundaries and, 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 and instill healthy rhythms and dynamics into relationships that we have and it hasn't gone well at all. Some of us have been misunderstood and hurt and and confused by uh, someone else's boundaries that they've set in our lives because we became such a burden to them and and they, they were trying to live and operate out of their ability to be helpful to us. For others of us, though, boundaries and setting boundaries and living and talking about limits energizes us. Uh, it's just something we, we live for. We love it. Uh, maybe to an unhealthy degree. I was, uh, I don't know if this connects at all, but I'm a meme guy. I love memes. I could have probably just preached my sermon in different memes and 
I'm going to attempt the dumbest thing that I'm going to do today probably is try to, to audibly with my words describe something that's visual and, and try to make it make sense of you. Uh, this is a whole nother story that I don't want to spend time getting into, but uh, I, I came across this meme a few weeks ago as I was scrolling through and uh, it was Oprah Winfrey. I know way too much about Oprah Winfrey and I blame a lot of things in my childhood for that. But uh, it was, I don't know if you've ever watched her show and if you've seen like the times where she was giving away her favorite things, right? And it's just like chaos and like a celebration and like her arms are flailing all over the place. Well, this meme was a snapshot of her doing that. And it was kind of giving away and it was like, you get a boundary, you get a boundary, you get a boundary, you get a brand. Like where she's giving away a car or a lotion or something like that. And it, I, I, I stopped way too long and spent way too long laughing uh, at that. But for some of us, that's kind of the, the way that we live. It's just, man, we're passing them out like candy and uh, people that need them, people that don't, people that uh, are getting hurt in that process. And if we aren't thoughtful, prayerful, counseled with how we set our limits and pursue our boundaries, the potential exists for us to use boundaries as weapons. Weapons to hurt other people as a means of building walls between relationship with people, to protect us from people. They can be deployed as self-protective strategies that have the potential of isolating us from the good and healthy relationships in our lives. And in so many ways, even those that God has brought into our life for the purpose of healing our brokenness, for the purpose of transforming us to be more conformed to the image of Christ. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to live in that way and, and living in, on an unhealthy relationship that's overly enthusiastic with boundaries and limitations can uh, leave us feeling isolated and do more damage to our soul uh, than good. And so we want to engage this with a sober mind, um, thinking uh, gospel-centeredly about it. Boundaries, I'll offer, should be leveraged as a means to serve our relationships, not keep them not keep us from relationships. And in conversations I've had to say, hey, we're going to like make a move because this isn't really working and uh, we're both very emotionally exhausted and drained by our interactions. Let's find a way to be in relationship in healthy ways that's mutually respectful, that uh, is mutually giving and receiving and is mutually beneficial for you and I. Boundaries, limitations are the soil from which healthy relationships grow. They communicate the guardrails that ensure mutual respect, uh, common investment, and mutual safety within relationships. We all have those experiences where uh, we feel like we just become the dumping ground for people in their lives and they offer us the worst. And, it's, and it just becomes a big complaining session and uh, they, don't, they don't come with a listening ear. They don't come uh, ready to hear your complaints and stories. And, and I know all too well uh, the, the exhaustive nature of that and how emotionally draining that can be. Nadra, again, says this in her book on boundaries. Boundaries are the core, boundaries are core to most relationships, sorry, boundaries are the cure 
to most relationship problems, but both parties have to participate and respect the boundaries of either side. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, this might be the more famous uh, writings on boundaries and what is a sermon on the topic without uh, a quote from one of them, says this in his book, Boundaries, When to Say Yes, How to Say No, uh, to take control. I don't like that word control, but to take responsibility for your life. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows us where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership, knowing that I am to take responsibility for, knowing what I am to take responsibility for gives me freedom. I agree with that. And so I want to invite us at this time to look at an interaction, a teaching, a practice, a way of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark in the life of Jesus that examples for us, I think, what uh, healthy boundaries could and should look like. And so if you would open your word of God to Mark chapter number 10, we're going to again read verse 46 through 52. I will give a little bit of a, a background. This is probably, and in, 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 in so many ways, my favorite section of scripture. Uh, Mark chapter number 10 in the past handful of years has been absolutely transformational for the way that I engage with God's word and I engage with God himself. And there's just so much richness in this. Uh, and even this section that we're going to engage with today. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse number 46. And my encouragement to you uh, is to follow along, uh, but read with a listening ear. Open to what the Spirit might be speaking or saying or inviting you into simply through his words and not mine. All right? And so as I read, I'm going to read slowly. Uh, and I want, I want his words, the word of God, Jesus, put down on paper to kind of infiltrate our hearts, our minds, and the way that we think and engage uh, with Scripture. And so listen in that way as I read Mark chapter number 10, verse 46. The word of the Lord says this, And they come to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the words of the Lord. I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to use his words to teach us, to shape us, to transform us. So 
Please join me in doing so. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the richness, uh, the beauty, as has already been mentioned, the simplicity and the complexity uh, of your word. Thank you for the, the power of it, the gospel that saves us, that sanctifies us, that transforms us, and then sends us into a dark and broken world with the hope and the light and the healing of Jesus. I pray that we be reminded of that this morning. I pray that this would be helpful, that you would use your word to, uh, to challenge, to equip, uh, to encourage, to comfort, uh, to empower us in our pursuit of you, pursuit of one another, and pursuit of a world around us that doesn't know you. We desperately need you, even this morning. Amen. Jesus is passing through Jericho with his disciples on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, as was the custom of most of the people in the crowd that day. And what begins, what will be known and, 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 and celebrated and honored and reverenced as Jesus' last week on earth. The crowd go, growing, going with him was growing uh, in number and enthusiasm as they were anticipating Jesus being this Messiah that would save them from the Roman oppression that they were all uh, frustrated and, and, and under. And this very event is recorded right before by Mark, uh, right before the triumphant entry. I love Mark's telling of the triumphant entry because it's so like simple. Uh, it's so like there's not a whole lot of detail. Jesus rolled in, this donkey happened and he rode it in. There was fervor and celebration again uh, and anticipation what Jesus would mean for them politically. Uh, and then my favorite part of it is a little phrase at the end uh, near... Um, in, in, in chapter 11, verse 11, when he says, and he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, he looked around at everything, was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the 12. And I just find, man, such a peace to that. Like Jesus walks in, sees kind of what's before him, takes a quick glance, quick glance around, and then he goes and hangs out with his disciples, his friends, the ones who had been there with him from the beginning in Bethany. Bethany becomes a very important part of Jesus' life, Jesus' story, many of his closest friends resided there. And so we, we see him uh, headed into Jericho from Bethany again. The triumphant entry is uh, Jesus' final approach to the cross, where his death, his burial, and his resurrection changes and is changing everything about life and relationships as we know it. And right on the heels of that, right before that magnificent week known as the Passion of Jesus takes place, Mark records this interaction with this blind beggar who had posted up outside the city looking for a way to meet his needs, looking for a way to provide for himself and maybe even perhaps his family. We don't really know all the details of his life. But in verse 46 and verse 48, I want us to notice Bartimaeus's presence with Jesus. Bartimaeus's presence with Jesus. 
Bartimaeus hears the noise of this crowd. Again, he's a blind beggar. He can't see anything. He doesn't really know what's happening. He has to rely heavily on the senses that work. Sees and hears the noise of this crowd coming through. And he discovers through the chatter and through the enthusiasm that Jesus of Nazareth was in the crowd. And it piques his interest. So remember early on in Jesus' life and ministry, there was a lot of hush-hush, right? I'm going to do this for you, but I don't really want you uh, to tell anybody about it because he kind of knew the impending challenges that would come as his name was made known, as uh, his acts would get glorified and honored and all of that. But kind of like at this point in stage, like Jesus was headed to the, the purpose for his, his coming anyway, the cross. And so there wasn't as much of a, hey, let's keep the silence and let's keep the peace. It was much more of a, an enthusiastic fervor. And in that, he hears Jesus of Nazareth. He'd probably heard much about Jesus of Nazareth by this point as his fame was spreading, as his popularity was increasing, as even the misconceptions of what he was there to do and what he would do. Uh, there was still just an, an, an excitement around Jesus. Upon a hearing of Jesus' presence, Bartimaeus cries out, uh, the very cry that we cried out this morning in song as we worshiped. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And that's very interesting. In the presence of Jesus, we see a few things happening within blind Bartimaeus. I want to draw our attention to those two things. First thing, in presence of Jesus, Bartimaeus grows in his awareness of who Jesus is. Right? It was no longer just this enthusiasm, this excitement around the life of Jesus. Bartimaeus comes and he declares a, a messianic declaration of son of David. That had tremendous meaning to first century Jewish people that were there and experiencing the life of Jesus. That created tension, that created questions, that created some even the opposition um, that Jesus would endure from the hands of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day that would ultimately culminate in his death. It was an important declaration. He was identifying and confessing uh, the reality of who Jesus was, not just the assumed uh, idea that they were holding on to that Jesus would save them from Roman oppression. Next thing he sa he, we see is he grows in his awareness of who he is and at the same time what his needs were. Right? He grows, Jesus, son of David, you are this Messiah. You are the one that is going to come and save me from myself and from my sin. But he also realizes, man, my hope is I need your mercy. My biggest need is I need your mercy. And for Bartimaeus, presence with Jesus brings a lot of clarity about who Jesus was and who Bartimaeus was. He becomes very honest about his need, but also very humble in declaring his need. And there's some clarity and it's a beautiful thing. And I want us to see from that and apply this reality that presence with Jesus, even for us as it was for blind Bartimaeus, brings clarity to who Jesus is, who we are, who we are in relationship to Jesus and what it is that we actually need. We need the mercy of Jesus far more than any of us properly understand and, and adequately express. That's an ongoing learning uh, that's been very much a part of my life for the 37 years that I'm living it. 
Bartimaeus prioritizes this presence with Jesus. Verse 48 in our text this morning goes on to say, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So what do we see happening? He's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds are trying to silence that cry, trying to silence that plea as if what he's asking for is impossible, as if what he's asking for is an important kind of feels like for Jesus, this would be a waste of his time, at least according to the crowds of people that were gathered that are just there to, man, let's get the show on the road. Like, let's get to Jerusalem. Let's watch you overcome this Roman oppression. Let's watch you do what we're assuming you're gonna do. Even though you sever, you've never said that that's what you're gonna do. You've always said that almost the opposite. And when we recognize the importance of being present with Jesus, we pursue presence with Jesus at all costs. No matter what people are saying, no matter what stands in our way, we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. Nothing's going to stand in the way of that. Nothing is going to distract us from that. And so I have a question this morning as we transition to our second point, is what gets in the way of presence with Jesus in your life? Right, I think sometimes we can academically and intellectually like, and even come into a worship setting like this and declare through song and beautiful instrumentation and the beautiful voices of God's people, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, I need you every hour. Jesus, in your presence, there is hope and there is joy and there is life. But day to day, moment by moment, kind of what are the distractions in your life that draw you out of presence with Jesus. Bartimaeus was, was adamant about overcoming those distractions, about negating, not listening to the voices in his life that were trying to rob him of that presence. What are those things in your life? J.I. Packer, the famed Anglican minister and author of so many books, says this on the importance of presence with Jesus in his book, Knowing God one of the true classics of his authorship. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. That's, that's captivating and that's powerful because I know for me, I spend a lot of time trying to control outcomes, trying to manipulate circumstances, trying to get people to think just like I think and see things just the way that I see them. Uh, and in so many ways, culturally and personally, this past two years has given us plenty of opportunity to practice that and watch it play out, has it not? And many of us are faithful in our pursuit of knowing about God. But, we are, but are we as faithful? Yea, are we even more faithful? in our pursuits of knowing God, relationally. Knowing the Jesus that is the person at the other end of these words. Right? When we come into relationship with scripture, we can't come into it as if it's a biology book, an algebra book, or a psychology book that we're studying to pass a test, that we're engaging with to earn that degree. And all of that is important. I don't want to minimize any of that. But this is a living word. 
John 1 tells us that Jesus uh, is and was the word of God made flesh. Right? And so we read this, we're not just engaging with words that tell us interesting and cool and amazing things about Jesus, although it does. We're engaging with Jesus himself. These scriptures are the revelation, the revealing of Jesus. And so has your pursuit of God been one that's marked primarily by intellectualism, fact-finding and argument, uh, building, or is it a pursuit of a relationship, of knowing God and being known by God and being aware of how known by God you are. I think that radically transforms the way that we engage with Jesus. The second thing I'd like for us to see directly out of our text this morning is Jesus's presence with Bartimaeus. This, uh, there's, there's a sentence in here that's just my favorite and I, I go back to very often and we'll get there in a moment. But the first thing I want us to notice in this section of verses 49 through 50 is this. I want us to notice the pace of Jesus's presence, the pace of Jesus's presence. Jesus is again, as I've already said, is, is, is heading and, and traveling towards Jerusalem. There is celebration, there's excitement that will culminate in his death, right? I think we get this grand picture. If we read our Bible, honestly, we come to these moments and glimpses of Jesus's life where we get a really, really clear glimpse of his humanity. I think of the garden. If there's any other way, Lord, let that way happen. Uh, let this bitterness from me. I, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I've always, I grew up in a type of faith that was overly celebratory and, and, and disconnected from the raw realities of life and loss and grief and pain and trauma and all that. And uh, man, like the humanity of Jesus was never a topic of conversation really. Because I think we see in the humanity of Jesus this hesitancy, this, this faithfulness, yes, to God's purposes for him, but also, man, this this deep sense of grief and loss. And here in our story, we see Jesus looking ahead to this reality where he's going to lay down his life. And yes, it's going to purchase the redemption for the church. And thanks be to God he did that because all of our hope is in that. Right? But there's also a, a humanity side of that. There's a confrontation with death. Right? I mean, none of us are like sitting uh, on the edge of our seats uh, anxiously and celebratory awaiting that moment where somebody close to us is going to pass or we're going to pass on from this life ourselves. Right? Death is an intimidating thing. Uh, not just the, the reality of death and the challenges that we're all very aware of in regards to that. But man, he's getting ready, the dynamics of his life and relationship with these, these 12 that he deeply loved and lived with and worked with and uh, knew very, very deeply was radically getting ready to change. Right? And Jesus is there. He's, he's kind of always been shy of the crowds. He's, he's got this beauty of the cross in view. He's got the challenge of the cross in view. And yet, with all that he has going on, both externally and internally, both emotionally and spiritually, both physically and any other adjective you want to use, Jesus has a lot going on. And he's there. And he's present to Bartimaeus. 
even in all of this excruciating realities that Jesus was engaging with, his pace is unhurried. There's a slowness that is remarkable to me in the life of Jesus. For instance, does anyone ever, does anyone ever read um, scripture and get this idea that like Jesus was always disheveled, throwing things in his purse or his bag or his wallet, grabbing his keys, forgetting five things as he's leaving the house to get to wherever he's going. Uh, we joke and kid, and I'm gonna say this and I'm probably regret it later, but uh, my wife, I love her. Um, but I don't know in 14 years of marriage how many times, I, I don't think we've ever left our house to leave our house without getting in the, down the road more times than often not, or at least out of the driveway without having to run back in and get something that we forgot, right? And I'm guilty of that as well, so I don't want to put it all on her. But it's fascinating, I just, I read the life of Jesus, he's always right where he needs to be, exactly when he needs to be there. There's not a hurry, there's not a rush. There's often a pattern of retreating from enthusiasm and excitement and in crowds. Uh, Jesus was very sure of himself. The gospel writers often use this phrase in describing answers that Jesus would give to people. And it, it repeatedly shows up where Jesus says, hey, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. There was a deep sense of a stable identity that Jesus had in union with his father, that he knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't. He knew where he was going. He knew where he came from. He knew all of those things. And from that place, he was able to engage uh, in a healthy way with everybody else. Jesus lives and ministers from this pace that enables his ability to be aware of the needs of others and, and perfectly present to them. And so I just want to again ask another question for your, your contemplation. Does your pace of life enable you to be present with others genuinely or disable you from being present with others? Man, I wrestle a lot with this. In fact, a recent conversation with with even Ronnie was, man, tell me about life in your town. Because life in my town's often pretty overwhelming at the pace and demand in which a growing church uh, brings on uh, a person. And uh, man, longing for a slower pace of life that allows me to be in the moment with the people that I'm with and not thinking about the future through worry, anxiety, or hope but also not living in the past through shame, fear, guilt, uh, and regret, right? And we see perfectly that embodied in Jesus. And I think his pace has some things that contribute to that. Are we living life in such a hurry that we're, we're really not able to be with the people that we're with or in the moments that we're in or in the places that we're actually in? Second thing I want us to notice in this portion of verses 49 through 50 in Jesus's interactions with Bartimaeus is this, I want us to notice the practice of Jesus' presence. The practice of Jesus' presence. Jesus stops and he pays attention to Bartimaeus. He's not distracted by, or he's not deterred by the crowd seeking to hinder Bartimaeus from coming into his presence. He communicates both dignity in giving Bartimaeus a voice and in providing a present and listening ear that hears Bartimaeus. I'm referencing this book a lot, but in the book, 
um, set boundaries, find peace. Uh, and on her Instagram account, she conducted a poll and she wrote about it in her book and I learned of it both ways. Uh, I participated in it on Instagram. She conducted a poll account asking this question. When you are having an issue or enduring a hard time, what would you prefer? And the two answers were one, A, advice, or B, listening. And the overwhelming sense of that around uh, 75% of the more than 4,000 people that responded said, be listening. Most people in our lives wanna be heard. Most people in our lives desperately need a safe place for their stories to be both heard and in safety held. I was joking with a friend of mine and recalling this last evening with the Watsons, uh, who's a counselor, a therapist, psychotherapy. He runs a practice in Cincinnati called Rivertown Wellness, and he's been a dear friend of mine, super educated, super brilliant. And I said, hey man, I don't mean this as a jab, and I'm not drawing uh, the, the, the skill and the investment that you've made into your work, but man, do you think like, 75 to 80% of the value that you have in people's lives is that you provide a place for them to be really just honest about who they are and, and to share. And to share not from this sense of protecting something about their identity, but being completely open about who they actually are. He's like, oh, 100%, man. Like if I couldn't listen, there's no way in the world I could do what I'm doing. We have this longing, we have this deep down desire for our story to be held. We also have this presence in the lives of those people who are around us and in our lives by God's providence and by God's grace to provide a place to, for them to be heard, for their stories to be held. Bartimaeus found this in the presence of Jesus. He found this in the presence of Jesus and he finds it beautifully. Jesus doesn't assume, and this is, this, is the, this is the mind explosion emoji of this text for me. Jesus has all the right. If anybody that's ever lived has the, the, the right, the ability to assume something about another person, it's got to be Jesus. Right? It just has to be. He, he knows every single thing and every single detail. There's nothing that pervades his ability to know. And yet he doesn't assume at all what Bartimaeus needs. It's very obvious to everybody in the crowd, but Jesus still doesn't assume. He stopped. He doesn't assume his need. He doesn't stop to do for Bartimaeus uh, what he thinks Bartimaeus needs. He stops. He calls. He gets face to face. And he says this in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Right, as I read this, man, my mind is, is going back to, man, what do I, what's my deepest need? And like, what do I need from Jesus more than anything? If Jesus is standing face to face with me like he is Bartimaeus on his way to the cross, and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? Man, like what do I, I don't even know where to start. The list is long. The, the pain is, is deep. The weakness is, man, abundant. I don't even know, Jesus. Like there's so many problems. I don't even know how to assess which one's the worst. Even still, he's there. I mean, I just wonder, 
as we look into the life of Jesus, as we take a lesson from it, how would our relationships change if one of the boundaries that we established in our life is this overwhelming and at times obnoxious curiosity about one another where we don't assume what people want and what people need and we aren't going to step in and help them in ways that they may not want our help, right? Like, man, uh, this is hard for me as a pastor because I sit with people all the time and it's, they're telling me their story. And man, it's like, this is exactly what you need to do. That's not what they're asking for, right? Like your life could be so much easier if X, Y, Z were put into place, but man, that's not why you're here. And we have this propensity to try to fix people that like really isn't about them. It's really about us, right? And if we're honest, it's, it's rarely super helpful. And I just wonder what the nature of our relationships would look like if we showed up and, and asked simple question, like, what do you need? What do you need from me right now? What do you not need from me right now? How, how can I be present to you in a way that's helpful for you right now? Instead of just rushing in and assuming that we know those things. Jesus doesn't do that. And he has all the right in the world to do that. We have zero right in the world to do that. And that's more often our, our first approach, is it not? And it's just fascinating. Some of us are overwhelmed, exhausted, defeated, maybe even anxious, angry, and full of resentment because we want things for people more than they want them for themselves. I mean, that's a, that's a tension. I don't think it's a problem that needs to be solved. That's a tension that needs to be held. Like, I want good things for the people that I love and care about in my life. But I can't want those good things more than they want them. And I want to be there to help them and shepherd them and push them towards Jesus and ask thoughtful and, and engaging questions and draw the service, the, the depravity of their hearts, uh, their, uh, the need of Jesus, their dependence on Jesus. I want all those things for them, but man, I, can't, I can't be those things for them. Only Jesus can. And so we want to step up and show up in people's lives in a way that uh, gives them the dignity to declare, this is what I need from you in this moment. And that's a hard pill to swallow for some of us that are a very help and mission-oriented type of people. Um, but we have hope in Jesus that we can do that. This isn't good for us. We often grow bitter, anxious, angry, and resentful. Like I've always said, people often feel misunderstood. I mean, if I had a, if I had a dollar and a, and, a, and a chapter and a book to write about every single person that I've tried to meet them where they were and help them in ways that they didn't need help and how confused and frustrated and misunderstood they felt, man, like be a very wealthy guy. And had a lot of chapters. My book would have thousands of chapters in it. Um, and I think, I think a lot of us often finds ourselves there. In the presence of Jesus, we discern who we are, who he is. And it's from this foundation. It's from that place of stability, from that place of security, that we then begin to learn to truly be present to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, both believing and unbelieving. We really can't have one without the other. And oftentimes we try to bypass the hard work of presence with Jesus because, man, if, I, if I'm vulnerable with Jesus, he's gonna expose all this darkness and ugliness and, and brokenness in my heart. And if we're honest, like the reality is, man, we just don't wanna see that about ourselves. We've built a lot of, spent a lot of time, energy, 
uh, building and maintaining this, this, this polished, perfected uh, image of who we are, right? And time with Jesus is going to kind of disrupt that, and we know that. And so it's like, ah, man, like, I know I should be with Jesus, but uh, Jesus is going to wreck my false sense of self and my wrong identities and where I'm placing those things. And so it's easier to jump in and try to be like Jesus in other people's lives than let Jesus infiltrate our life, right? And it's like a diversion tactic, at least for me. I don't want to put that on any of you. Um, I find myself in that place often. But what's interesting to me about this text in specific is who the crowds were seeing as a distraction to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus saw as a disciple of that very ministry. Right, he meets Bartimaeus exactly where he is. He upholds his dignity as a human being, gives him control and responsibility for what he wants from Jesus, and not only heals his blindness, but radically transforms and shapes the, the nature of his life. Come and follow me. And the, 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 the text ends with, and he followed Jesus on the way, which is a beautiful imagery of what it means to follow Jesus. We're all at different places and different parts, and we're all on this journey. Yes, we're together. Some of us are ahead. Some of us are behind. Some of us don't even know we're on it. Some of us are, man, are we going to start this to follow Jesus? We're still asking questions about Jesus. Right? We're all kind of on this journey together, and we see Bartimaeus join in on this. What we often see as irritations, as interruptions, Jesus sees his invitations of the Spirit to share and show the love of God. Right? When we think about the mission of God, we think about this, this, this overwhelming reality that Jesus is headed to the cross, and man, the mission that he is on is our only hope, the only reason we have life, everything to us. We are redeemed because of that very journey to the cross, right? Man, just such, such a weighty thing in a way that neither, no one in the here can even begin to fathom and understand. But still, we see Jesus stopping and engaging with this guy that nobody else saw value in and nobody else thought was a valuable use of Jesus' time. And I wonder, for our lives, if the mission of God in our lives looks more like that neighbor who takes up all the parking spots right in front of our house, or looks like that neighbor that we dormed with or lived in an apartment that had a drum set and played their music way too loud. I wonder if it looks more like that guy that always comes to the office meetings not prepared for anything and has way more dumb questions than anybody has time for. Um, and robs you of an opportunity to be heard and seen, right? Or it looks like that little kid that doesn't get the attention that he needs next door and sabotages your house and is mean to your kids, right? Like I think more often than not, the mission of God is, is prevalent and abundantly around us. Our pace of life and our values in life prohibit us from even seeing that. We get angry, we get frustrated, we get mad, we get um, all those things. Instead of open to how can I step into this life, step into this circumstance, be present and ask, what do you want me to do for you? Right? And we see that exemplified in Jesus. And, and I say, Jesus, help us to see people the way that you do. Because it's a really beautiful thing. 
It's this text we look at um, and summarize kind of in this way. Boundaries should prioritize relational presence with Jesus, ourselves, and others. Boundaries equip us to live within our limitations, and limitations are difficult across all aspects of our lives. Relational limitations are certainly included in this difficulty. In many ways, we live without any attention to our limits. We all have them. Often, though, we all live without awareness of them or within them. Much of our life is marked by overextending ourselves, overeating, overconsuming, and over committing. If we are honest, we too often live as if we are limitless and God in himself is limited, right? Because we rush into be Jesus and fix and solve and change. And it's like, man, that's the work that God promised he would do in Jesus and not in you. Yes, you're an avenue of that. And yes, you're a signpost of that. And yes, you are a, hey, let me wave my flag and wave my hands in the air and point you towards that. But sometimes it's hard to settle for just being that person that's pointing the way and not being that person that becomes and does what only Jesus can do for somebody. What would it look like for us to live within our limitations and rest in God's unlimitedness? God is omnipresent, right? It means he's always present to everything and everyone. And here's the blessing and the curse. We don't have to be. Right? There's a freedom in that. There's a challenge in that for some of the types of personalities that were represented within this congregation. God is omniscient. He always knows all things about all things at all times. And you know what? We don't have to know all things and be all things. God is omnipotent. He's always, he always has the power to accomplish anything at any time, and so we don't have to be. Again, a blessing to that and a curse. God is sovereign, always in control of everything, and again, we don't have to be. And I get the tension of sometimes feeling an immense amount of freedom from that, and sometimes that feeling like a pretty tremendous burden, especially when things are waving and wandering way out of control or what I perceive control should look like. On the cross, Jesus frees us from the demands of life without boundaries and limitation and empowers us to embrace boundaries and limitation as blessing and not curse. In his death, the demands on us to know all things, to be all things, and control all things dies with Christ. And in his resurrection, the freedom for us to be present to Jesus, present to ourselves, and to others is raised with Christ. He empowers us, he gives us the ability, he gives us the energy, he gives us the presence of himself to go with us, to engage honestly with ourselves and with others. And that ability only grows from the soil of a deep and stable and secure identity in Jesus, in his work and not ours, in his control and not ours, in his knowing and not ours. Right? And there's a rub with that. There's also a beauty in that and a hope in that and some life and joy in that. The gospel of Jesus frees us up to, as we wrap up our time together, practice boundaries that prioritize presence with Jesus. Man, there is nothing more powerful for the transformation in your life and the transformation of the life around you 
than your presence having been transformed by Jesus. It just isn't. That's what community groups are all about. That's what faith in church and a community of people is all about. We're, we're people redeemed and being transformed by Jesus, showing up and being transforming presences in the lives of people whose lives are yet to be redeemed by Jesus. Man, that's a glorious and beautiful responsibility. What practices of Jesus are you practicing with Jesus? Not as a means to know more fun and interesting things about Jesus, but as a means to know Jesus relationally. How does that change the way you engage with scripture? How does that change the way you engage with prayer? How does that change the way you engage with Sabbath and your week to week and month to month and year to year life rhythms? What boundaries need to be established in your life to prioritize presence with Jesus? Right, we all feel the demands of limited time. I get it, I get it, I do. Like I say a thousand times a week in my foolishness, if I only had more time, and it's like, well, time's like this, this static thing. I don't get more time, but I get to choose how I use my time, and we all do. And I don't wanna pretend like all of us have an equal demand on our time, that's not true. I know some of your lives are hectic and chaotic and, and in really beautiful ways, uh, as is mine. But we all have those same demands and we all have a limit, a boundary that's given to us in 24 hours a day with seven days a week. How are we using that time? Often feel as if I need more time and that is impossible. So I need to free myself from some of the demands on my time. And again, a meme, I said I could preach this sermon in memes. I, I was recently you know, wasting a lot of time scrolling for memes as one does who's heavily invested in meme memery. And um, there was a meme I came across that was an open Bible kind of sitting on a dinner table. And like you could see like this uh, like German shepherd dog kind of like sitting in the distance, kind of blurred out. And it's throwing just like the craziest look at this human being that's sitting there with an open Bible. And the caption was like, this is your Instagram feed. Or this is, your, this is your Bible staring at you while you're aimlessly scrolling your Instagram feed. And I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of like shameful, but also like pretty, pretty accurate portrayal of my life sometimes. Spending way too much time consuming media, reading information, watching news channels, reading uh, our favorite articles. I think if we were honest with ourselves, our desire to know everything, our desire to be everything to everyone and our desire to control everything in our life consumes way too much of our time. We don't have the energy to be present to Jesus ourselves or other people because we're so set on controlling everything, being everything, and knowing everything about everything. Let's choose to take our time back, prioritize being present with Jesus. As I've already said, I'm more convinced with each and every passing day that the greatest thing that I have to offer in my relationships and the people that I'm gonna encounter and the ways that I'm gonna engage in the world is my transformed presence. Having been with Jesus, being changed by Jesus and then showing up in the real realities and day-to-day -day of everyday life, having done that. And if I truly believe that, then presence with Jesus becomes my greatest priority. And nothing, nothing stands in the way of that. Because the best thing I can do for my wife is not 
uh, learn more interesting things about life and learn the 10 dating rules and learn uh, and have this long list of fun and exciting date nights, although those things are important, the best thing that I can give my wife is my presence, fully present to her, but having been transformed by Jesus. And Jesus uses that to be a transforming presence in her life. That's the best thing for my son. That's the best thing for my friends. It's the best thing for the people that are a part of my church. Lastly, practice boundaries that prioritize presence with people. Healthy boundaries are possible when our pasts don't show up in our present interactions. I was uh, sitting with a pastor friend of mine just a few weeks ago at a coffee shop in Cincinnati, and he spent like 45 minutes. He's an associate pastor in the African-American church that he's a, a leader in. And uh, man, I'm learning the dynamics and the differences and the of the way we engage with our faith and the way he does and all of that. But he spent 45 minutes kind of explaining his frustrations about his pastor. Uh, his lead, the lead senior pastor, bishop type presence in the church. And um, man, I was listening, just taking it in. It felt, you know, it's like, man, this feels like your response to what you're saying is frustrating you feels a little heavy, but just listening and trying to understand. And, and right in the middle of that 45-minute speech, he, he uttered two or three sentences that had nothing to do with Wendell. Wendell was the pastor's name, but started talking about his dad. And I was like, huh, man, that's interesting. And so I just kind of made a mental note of that. After we finished our conversation, I just said, hey, man, have you given any thought to maybe your frustrations aren't actually with Wendell? And something Wendell is saying or doing is reminding you of a deeper pain that you have with your dad. What's your relationship with your dad like? And through tears just started like confessing how broken and messy and, and disruptive that relationship is. But tension was being created with Wendell and nothing to do with Wendell. Right? That's the complexity and the messiness of life and relationship. I have to regularly stop sometimes in the middle of a heated argument with my wife over a sock or something silly and be like, this really has nothing to do with what just happened, does it? It has something to do with this disconnected from 10 years ago in my life that I never really dealt with, right? And so we want to be aware of our past, but we don't want to be ruled by it. We want to show up to relationships, paying attention to our emotions, our reactions, our gut, but not ruled by them. We don't all come from the same place or have the same experiences in life. We all have baggage we carry those bags through our life, filled with hopes for the future and dashed hopes uh, of the past. Pain, hurts, traumas, fears, lessons, painfully and joyfully learned. In our bags are narrative scripts and messages that we received about life, value structures and systems, and every one of our stories are different. But what is true of each one of us is that these experiences shape the way that we attach or don't attach in relationships the way we give love and receive love, the, and what we ultimately believe about what relationships should look like generally. We bring all of this and more into relationships. And so we want to continue learning. We want to continue doing the, the in, interior work. We want to continue showing up, being present. But we also don't want to assume things about other people that we don't know about them. We want to be curious. We want to ask lots of questions challenge all of our assumptions about anyone and everything. 
Here is a practice and a boundary that I begin to incorporate, and I'll close kind of with this in my life that has had profound impact on my life and relationship. And again, the last two years has given ample times for this to be practiced. We all have so much uh, influencing and shaping who we are, right? Past experience, present realities, faith, family, uh, experience, cultural narratives, all of this. And we can hear things or experience things and see things. And, and I don't know about you, but I often feel this heavy rush of emotional charge. Like where I hear somebody says something to me and I come up with 20 reasons why I'm going to say this to them in this tone and like I'm going to just let them have it, right? Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm going to let them have it. They can't hear me, my windows are rolled up, their music's up, but I'm going to let them have it, Right? And so when we, when we get those emotional charges, I love, I love reactions. Reactions are vulnerable, raw, honest, and real. But reactions are a horrible way to engage with people. And so I want to pay attention to my first reaction. But I also just want to put some boundaries around some space. Right? There's something stimulating this response inside of me. I want to lash out at this person for X, Y, Z. I'm just going to let it sit for a day, an hour, I'm gonna take a walk before I respond to my wife who I feel like is misunderstanding me or misrepresenting me. I'm gonna walk into my room and close the door, whatever it is, just I'm gonna put some space between what is stimulating and a strong emotional response. And in that space, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna consider, I'm gonna reflect, I'm gonna get some counsel so that I can come back and respond in a healthy way. Not a reaction, but a thoughtful, prayerful, counseled response. Man, if we engaged in the realities of our real life in that way, how many broken relationships that we've endured maybe could have been saved? How much redemption and restoration could happen within those fractured relationships that we're currently experiencing? How much hurt and harm could be avoided? If we didn't respond from all these things within our bag, but put some space, put some distance, got some perspective, and responded. Sometimes that response doesn't change from my reaction. More often than not, it does a lot. And uh, man, the hope of Jesus is that I can show up and be present, both to him, both to me, and both to the other people that I'm gonna engage in my life. Jesus gives us an example. This is one of hundreds within scripture. But that question, what do you want me to do for you? It's a question I want to leave you with. Just kind of reflecting and thinking about what is the realities of your life right now that you find very distracting, pulling you from presence with Jesus, pulling you from people? What are, what are the areas in your life where you're trying to stretch yourself outside of your limits to meet needs for people that people don't have or may not want you to meet? What questions do you need to learn how to ask on a more regular basis. I'm going to pray for us and invite you to do the same as I wrap up my time with you this morning. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the truthful realities of your word. Thank you for the way that they apply to our lives in a thousand ways. This text here in Mark could have been preached a hundred different ways, and most of those hundred ways could have been really faithful and accurate. And I know we looked at just one simple implication of the gospel applied to our, the reality of our lives today, but I pray that it would be encouraging. I pray that it would be challenging. I pray that it would be transforming 
in the lives of your people that call Substance Church home. What a joy it's been to be with them. God, direct us even now as we respond to the faithful uh, teaching of, of your word and the end of the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Amen.